Now, before we get into the word, if we can just um, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are uh, before you, we are before your word, and we wish to um, ask that you illuminate the word to our eyes, um, to our minds, to our hearts, and may we uh, act upon them and do your will. And uh, may your glory be uh, um, manifested this day and, and this week, and may your name be honoured this morning. Uh, we love you and ask that you um, bless our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've titled the sermon, Real Fellowship. And no, Nathan did not put me up to this. Okay, we have a real youth group, but um, I thought I'll use the word real because it's just a simple word. I mean, I did want to use the word Authentic, authentic fellowship could be another way to put it. But um, it'll be real fellowship for today. Um, and the text that I've chosen for this morning is uh, from First John chapter one, uh, verses one to four. And we read this: that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, has anyone ever seen the movie uh, Castaway, starring Tom Hanks? So some of you have. Now, for those who haven't, it's, um, it's a story about Chuck Nolan, a FedEx executive. And uh, as part of his job, he was summoned to Malaysia to solve a problem. So his job was to solve management issues around the world, globally. And as he was flying over to Malaysia, his plane crashes over the Pacific. And he becomes a sole survivor, washed ashore, on a deserted island, all by himself. So Chuck has a few failed attempts to try to leave the island, try to build a raft, but the, there's a lot of reef around the island, the waves are too big, and he can't. He's forced to survive. So one day he tries to light a fire using just the raw materials, just some sticks and so forth, and he accidentally cuts his hand. And it's bleeding, there's a lot of blood. He becomes angry and he kicks whatever he sees and throws things. So whatever that was washed ashore, he kind of collected. You know, working for FedEx, you're um, delivering items around the world. He still feels that it's his duty to collect those and deliver them, even though he's stranded on the island. He has hope. And he picks up this volleyball and throws it with his bloody hand. 
He later picks up the volleyball when he's calmed down and he sees his bloody handprint on it. And the handprint looks a bit like a face. And so what he does, he takes um, his fingers, flicks them, marks out eyes on that face, a nose and a mouth. And he calls the volleyball Wilson because it's a Wilson volleyball. Calls it Wilson, becomes his friend. So then four years later, we see that he can happily survive. He's been there for four years now. He can happily survive on the island with Wilson by his side. He has many conversations with Wilson and arguments too. And they're quite serious, quite serious arguments. Like one time he'll be looking at him and he'll be like, what are you looking at? Because Wilson's looking at him. <laughs> he, um, later he discovers a large section of a portable toilet door. Washed ashore and he decides that he can use that as a sail for his raft that he's building. Still has hopes to flee the island. So he assembles his raft and he launches his raft when the timer is right, when the weather was right to launch and the waves and everything has been there for four years. So he's kind of got an idea of the island so far. And he takes Wilson with him, his friend, his companion. He, managed to, he manages to overcome the strong surf. So he's gone past the surf and flee the island. So there's hope for him. And one day, when Chuck was sleeping, Wilson falls off the raft and floats away. Chuck is woken by a whale, some whale noise, and discovers Wilson gone. And he starts panicking. He starts screaming out for Wilson. He jumps in the water to try to rescue Wilson, holding the raft with the rope. The raft is going one way, Wilson's going the other way. And then he realises that it's either Wilson or his own life. He decides to let Wilson go. And he returns back to the raft with many tears. As though he's lost his one and only friend. Soon after, Chuck is rescued by a cargo ship and returns home. And there's more to the story. I didn't cover everything, but I wanted to cover that much. And if you're interested, you can watch the movie for yourself. It's uh, Cast Away with uh, Tom Hanks. Now, the point I want to make about this movie is this. If we were all in the same situation as Chuck was, what would we do? No one to talk to. What would we do? Wouldn't we just do the same thing? Wouldn't we make something to communicate to? Talk to the fish in the sea, talk to the trees. Maybe do the same thing. You find something that's round and turn it into a face. I mean, can any of us go four years without talking to anyone? No, I certainly can't. God created us with a longing for intimate communication. He created us for a longing for intimate communication. And he created us because he wanted to partner with us in bringing about more good in this world 
and make use of the potential the world has to offer. He wanted a partnership with us. And he wanted an intimate partnership with us. That's why he gave us mouths. He gave us reasoning. He gave us a way to communicate. He gave us emotions. He gave us reason. He created us to have fellowship. Have fellowship with us and us have fellowship with him. He created us to have a bond with us and us with him. If you remember my last message, I spoke about the new covenant we have in Christ as a partnership between Christ and God made on our behalf. Well, we adopt this covenant as a partnership positionally. It is position. It's how we are positioned in the faith. But when we talk about fellowship, it's the same idea, but practical. Practical, everyday experience. So, what is fellowship? Now, we hear this word a lot. Our church is named Christian Life Fellowship. We hear it about a lot. And we like to um, experience it. We like to practice it. We like it to be a reality. Is fellowship the same as friendship? Does it have the same aspects of being a friend? Is it socialising with people? Do we just get together, have conversations? Is it sharing a meal? Is it about singing songs together when we have the fellowship, when we sing songs together? Well, it could be all of that. But is that all it is? Because if it is, if it is all of that, then we don't need a church for fellowship. You can go to the shopping centre and catch up with a friend to do that. You can go to a pub and sing songs with with the uh, cover band that's there. We can get all of that elsewhere. So what is fellowship and what more particular is Christian fellowship? That's a question I'd like to answer. And I'd like to go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. We read this. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. So this is a short passage that tells us about communion. The cup of blessing blood of Christ. The bread that we break, the body of Christ. We can see that. Communion. But there's a particular word there, participation. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? That word, participation, is exactly the same word in the Greek as fellowship in 1 John that we read earlier. 
It's the same word. So here we see it translated a different way. We can read the passage this way. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a fellowship in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a fellowship in the body of Christ? It reminds me of um, the movie um, and the book by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings, especially the first one, The Fellowship of the Ring. So here is they find a ring of great power, great destructive power. And there's a group of people come together to partner together to destroy that one ring. And they call that partnership a fellowship. They all have something in common. And in this passage, this word can be translated communion. So we can read this, the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a communion in the blood of Christ. Communion, it sounds a bit like common. Or it could read it partnership. We can be partnership. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a partnership in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is it not a partnership in the blood of Christ. We have, between us and Christ, a shared life because... Christ came and said to us, Here, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, my life, for your life. Here, here is the cup of wine. This is my death for your death. And we have this shared life, this common binding element between us and God in the communion. The root of the word just simply means that which we have in common. And we see that Christ is the cornerstone of our fellowship and this is what sets Christian fellowship apart from any other fellowship. We all have that in common. We have Christ and his life, his death and his resurrection, and we're all connected this way. And because of this, we all have intimate communication with God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and with each other. So let me summarise what fellowship is, what the meaning is. Fellowship is a common life together, an intimate bond between God and one another through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I'll read that again. Fellowship is a common life together, an intimate bond between God and one another through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Let us um, go back to the movie Castaway. So the main character, Chuck, shared life together with Wilson, a volleyball. And Chuck had an intimate bond. They shared lots of stuff. They shared the island together. They shared being castaways together. 
they shared conversations, although Chuck was doing all the talking. But the thing is, Wilson was not real. It was still a volleyball. And in contrast, what we see in 1 John is something very, very clear that he makes. That Christ is real. Christ is real. 1 John is a little odd. And I'll tell you why. He begins without an introduction. He doesn't greet anyone either. And towards the end, there's no concluding salutation. He doesn't say, okay, um, greet such and such. And I don't know why he chose to write this letter this way. But I'm guessing he had um, already established a relationship with his congregation and, um, or with uh, whoever his readers were. Um, and they knew him well and he knew them well. Maybe he could have skipped all of that. He gets straight into the message and he makes a repeated point that Christ really existed in the flesh. That it was real. Listen to this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. It's very specific here. Seen with our eyes. Not, not imagining it with his mind, not seeing it with his mind, but seeing it with his eyes. Which we looked upon. He said the same thing twice. Have touched with our hands. It wasn't just a, an emotional touching. It was touched with physical hands concerning the life that was made manifest. And we have seen it. He said it again. And testified to it and proclaimed to you that the internal life, which is with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard. He said it again. Seen and heard. He's making a very, very strong point here. Christ was really a human. Why does he need to do this? Well, he's confronting heresy. There were false teachers who came armed with philosophical trends of the day and they infected the church. And they were saying things like, Christ really did not exist in the flesh. And we know this because our history has been documented um, and it's quite logical because um, it happened. It happened for at least the first three centuries. We know this as Gnosticism. The idea behind Gnosticism is that matter is evil, so flesh and tables and carpet and ceiling, and everything, everything that is matter is evil, and spirit is good, and that Christ did not appear in the flesh just to spare him from evil. So this was being, this was like um, towards the end of the first century, this, is, this was a major heresy that, that continued on for, for a number of centuries. And that the early church had to battle. They were saying the physical body of Jesus was, was not real. And some Gnostics were treating the body harshly. It's like, total waste. Others would go out and say, you know what, my, 
there's no connection between sin in the body and the spirit. So we're free to sin however we like. Because I'm saved in the spirit, the flesh will be destroyed and there's complete separation between body and spirit. So do what you like. And can you see the potential that Gnosticism had in the early church to be destructive? That Gnosticism can corrupt the fellowship, that bond? Didn't sin separate us from God? And didn't Christ come to bring that bond back together again? If Christ did not really exist in the flesh, then he did not die in the flesh and be resurrected in the flesh. He had to have existed in the flesh. If he didn't, this would devastate the gospel, devastate the good news. He had to become one of us to make things right between us so that we can become like him. Justified. Righteous. So here in this passage, John assures that Christ existed in the flesh because he has seen him in the flesh and has experienced fellowship with him in the flesh. It's really important that we have this here because it tells us that fellowship has to be one-on-one contact or in a group setting. We have, it has to be real in the flesh. We can't just do it, have fellowship on the internet through emails. We can't have fellowship on the telephone. We can communicate, but I just think that it's more important that we are together in the flesh. Now, I don't think we have the same problem as the early church did. And I'm sure we all believe that Christ really did exist in the flesh, so I'm not here to convince you about that. We all believe Christ is real. However, I don't think... um, I think we have another problem. And I may be wrong here. Um, I may be wrong. But I don't think we see... um, that fellowship is real between one another. And what I mean by real is authentic. I could be wrong. We have fellowship with God. No problem about that. And we share everything with him. But is it, is it the same between one another? Do we have God privately and we share absolutely every aspect of our lives, the most intimate details, but not to one another? Is that what is meant? It is as though we have private lives apart from the few hours on Sunday. I could be wrong. Maybe some of you do get together and have real intimate fellowship. Or maybe, maybe we, just, um, we just don't get too much past the social setting. We spend a lot of time socialising and 
having a meal together. And we just don't get any, anywhere past that. We don't take it to the next level and be intimate. Take it to a deeper level. Now, I'm not saying this alone. I'm not alone in this. And I've had people tell me the fellowship can be a bit shallow and they wish they'd experienced more. Now, I believe, I believe that it is a proud heart that puts up a guard to prevent vulnerability. And what I mean by that, I think one of the reasons why this may be an issue is because we're just too afraid to be vulnerable towards one another. Or maybe we're too proud to. We'd rather stand on both feet with our hands on our hips and say, yes, I am complete in Christ. I can do it all on my own. Maybe that's the reason. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you confessed your sins to another? Not including your spouse. When was the last time? I'm going to put my hand up first and say, I don't remember. I don't remember. But I think it's a really, really big deal that we can actually open up this way towards one another to have that genuine fellowship. That we can lean on Christ and the work that he's done in our lives. Fellowship is real. It is authentic. And I know this because Christ is real and authentic. And now listen carefully to this. And this is where it makes real. This is where it becomes real. Christ became vulnerable on the cross to bear our shame so that we can become vulnerable towards one another without shame. Do you get that? Christ became vulnerable. He put himself out there. Right to the point of death, he bore that cross. And all that shame and all that humiliation that he took for us so that we can be vulnerable towards one another without the shame and the, without the humiliation. He's opened the way for that genuine fellowship with one another, that we're going to come together and approach one another without feeling any shame or guilt. Because it's a partnership and we're in it together. I don't know if you remember... I'm not too sure how long ago it was, but we saw a video one evening this, um, on a Sunday evening, maybe last year, maybe the year before. It was Francis Chan on Fellowship. It's from his uh, series called Basics. And there he mentioned of a, a particular um, person who was attending his church, who was part of a, a bikey gang, and decided to give it all up and become... Um, a Christian, and he got baptized, and um, and then soon after he left. So Francis decided to to pursue him and asked, "Well, why did you go?" And this biker said, "You know what? Um, 
when I was uh, in the bikey gang, um, they took care of me. We had a brotherhood. They'll watch my back and I'll watch theirs no matter what. But when I come to the church, I didn't get that. He didn't have that intimate connection with the church. He may have had that intimate connection with Christ, and that's what drove him to church. But without that intimate connection in the church, he couldn't survive. He went cold. So we can be vulnerable towards one another, and we should be vulnerable towards one another. And we don't need to be shameful about that. We don't have to have guilt about that. We can open up. And we can all hold hands together and, and um, put our faith in Christ and the good news He has for us, the hope that we have in Him. Let your guard down and communicate freely and intimately with one another. Because in this fellowship we are all one family of God. And we can all communicate intimately with one another as a family does. We have a close bond as a family does. Listen to verse 3 in this passage. That which we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, that close bond, that close connection. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. It's all together, tightly knit. John is saying in this passage that Christ is real and we can have real fellowship with one another and with God and His Son, Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And you know what real fellowship produces? Real joy. Real joy. Yep. We get joy from fellowship and it's real. Listen to verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It's not just joy, but a complete or a fulfilled joy that's to the fullest. And the reason why? Imagine this. Imagine we have Christ but not each other. How could we truly say that our joy is complete? How do I know my faith is real and authentic if I don't have you to confirm it? How do I know Christ can help me with my troubles if I don't have you to help me too and confirm that? That we are all together in one partnership, one fellowship. Imagine we have a, uh, a fire burning a pile of coal and we stack the coal up together so that it's all together, what would happen to the fire? It'll be big. If the coal is together, the fire will be big. It'll stay hot. We'll be warm. We'll be happy. Now imagine spreading the coals around the fire pit. So they're not in a pile, but spread out. What would happen to the fire? It'll die down. It'll get cold. We'll feel a bit miserable because we're not getting much heat from the fire. 
So when Christ is at the centre of our fellowship and our fellowship is real, authentic and intimate, it is like coal piled up together. We're all close together. And the fire burns hot and produces heat. And especially when it's cold, we enjoy the heat together. We're happy. But when we are reluctant to be vulnerable towards one another, not sharing much, it's like cold just spread out. There's still a fire there, but it doesn't produce as much heat. And we feel cold. We feel cold. Miserable. Real fellowship produces real joy. Not in part, but in full. As though the coal is piled together. We get a good heat, good fire. Christ is real in our fellowship. Our fellowship is real. It's that intimate bond, that common life we have together. And it produces real joy. Joy to the fullest. I have a final thought to finish off. And it's a quote from Tim Keller. And I read this the other day and I thought this was quite interesting. We are social, cultural beings. And our inner heart motivations are profoundly shaped by the communities in which we are embedded. So we are social, cultural beings. We like to talk and communicate and we like to be part of a culture. And our inner heart motivations are profoundly shaped by the communities. That common thing that we have together. Our inner heart motivations are profoundly shaped by this fellowship that we are embedded in. And I think it's really, really important to bring everything into context that we are embedded in fellowship. That this is our community, our common life together, our bond. And it is in this bond that would shape us and form us. Let's all bow our heads in prayer and thank God for his word. Heavenly Father, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful time to experience you this morning together as one body in Christ. It's a wonderful time to be around your word and learn from you and your ways. And we ask that everything we learn that we can apply it. Help us to overcome our fears and anxieties of being vulnerable and help us to lean on one another without shame or guilt and help us to build up one another as one family, one body. And Lord, we pray and ask that uh, we have more opportunities to be intimate. Not just to get together and do work, but to talk and be intimate with one another because we know that this is why you've created us so that you can be intimate with us
and you sent your son to restore all things right between you and us. And help us to carry this mission of yours to one another and to the rest of the world. And uh, bind us, shape us, conform us to your ways. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.